0: This is a MacKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potterwich to the north, Jawa Jali to the east, Bowen Dick to the south, and Meetung to the west of the limestone coast region. We acknowledge elders past and present, and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast and Western Victoria. I'm your host, Meg Bell, and joining us today, we've got Dr Chris Preston and Elders Narracourt agronomist Jason McClure, who are here to discuss cropping without glyphosate. Welcome, Chris, and welcome, Jason. Dr Chris Preston is a professor of weed management at the University of Adelaide, where he works on understanding and management of herbicide-resistant weeds. He's also chair of the Australian Glyphosate Sustainability Working Group. Jason is an agronomist based in Narricourt and he's worked for Elders since 2009. Jason loves the fact that every day and every season are different and Jason is also a cropping representative on MacKillop's Operations Committee. Chris, I'm going to ask you a question first. Your focus is on weed management. Tell us a bit about why you chose that field of research.
1: Well, actually, to be brutally honest, I, I fell into it as a field of research. My background's in plant biochemistry, and I've always been interested in uh, you know, how plants work. And I had the opportunity to move into agriculture and work on weeds, and specifically around herbicide resistance. And when I started working on it, it became a fascinating area from, A, how plants work, but also having really practical outcomes.
0: Tell us a bit then about that journey that led you to be appointed as the Professor of Weed Management at the University of Adelaide.
1: Well, I came to Adelaide from the United States in 1990, where I'd been actually working on biofuels uh, and decided I wanted to do something that people were interested in, so I came (laughs) and worked on weeds. But it was being very, very early on, I recognised that the work I was doing actually had a lot of use for farmers and I made it a, a point to try and get to understand what the issues farmers were facing around weeds and then try and direct the research into those spaces so that they could take the information that we we're providing and directly use it.
0: So any link back to biofuels from weeds?
1: Uh, no I haven't actually thought about biofuels okay. since ex- except I did a little bit of work on risk assessment for giant reed.
0: Yeah Okay, interesting. Jace, your turn. Tell us a bit about why you chose to pursue agronomy and why down here.
2: So yeah, I grew up in New South Wales and it was on a family farm, wheat sheep. But it probably wasn't until third year, fourth year of uni I thought about pursuing agronomy as a career and in 2002 I ended up in Lockhart working there as a trainee agronomist and unfortunately the drought came in. So that day I was Opened the weekly times and looked up and there was a Position available at Tech <laughs> I Went home That night and opened up the Atlas because Google Maps wasn't invented then <laughs> And Looked where it was and in September 2002 I moved down to the southeast and started that Career and At the time I had no intentions of Spending the next 20 years in the southeast, but Yeah, the crops, the irrigation, broadacre, pasture, the mix all kept me here and interested and then I met my wife, Mary, here as well and when we got back from travelling overseas I took a position with Elders where I'm now and yeah, we decided to start a family here.
0: Very good. Well, we're glad you stayed. (laughs) Although I guess some of our our seasons and our our days down here are a little bit challenging so tell us tell us about what you enjoy about the differences between days and seasons down here
2: i guess it's never boring agronomy there's always new products to learn and yeah as i said the soil types are varied the rainfall varies from one part of where i go to the other there's always new challenges every year you've got something different that's presenting an issue like last year it was stripe rust and chocolate spot in the beans yeah this year wet June July COVID just traveling the border getting over the border to try and do your job so there's always something you're always trying to do and change but um, implement but there's also the ongoing issues of insects and weeds and disease that you're working with the growers to try and nutrition and that to do a better job and improve their profitability and sustainability long term You mentioned
0: a bit about issues getting across the border so tell us a bit about how far and wide you travel with your agronomist role. So I go to
2: sort of Will Luca or just this side of Will Luca around across the Francis Minamay Apsley Lane Coop and then I've got some work at Bull Lagoon and Furna and Mount Burr. So, yeah, a fair spread of the southeast.
0: Yeah, seeing a fair bit of country. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I mentioned before that you're part of the Weed Science Research Group at Adelaide Uni. Tell us a bit about the group and the research projects that you're focused on.
1: So, we've got a group that's based across the Waite and Roseworthy campuses uh, at the University of Adelaide with my colleague Gergie Gill, all up. There's probably at the moment 15 people working in the group doing various pieces of project work and we focus around those weed problems that farmers have. One of those, of course, is herbicide resistance is probably the biggest weed issue facing farmers, so a lot of our effort goes into trying to understand what's going on so that then we can start building uh, practices that farmers might be able to to do but we also work in some other areas so we'll do some work on on wheat biology if that's pertinent to an issue so we've done some work recently on delayed emergence of number of our grass weeds and how that's impacting farmers and other little projects might come in depending on what the what the need is the main things we're working on at the moment are uh, is we're working on herbicide resistance management strategies do the strategies that are promoted to growers actually work. This is a really challenging bit of sp- uh, space yeah. to work in. We do some very basic research around herbicide resistance. So we do everything from molecular biology in the lab, so, you know, sort of cutting-edge type molecular biology stuff, all the way to long-term field trials. So we try to encompass everything. So we pick the, the topic. So the lab stuff, we're focused on glyphosate resistance and resistance to pre-emergent herbicides and to the phenoxy herbicides. So they're probably the three big ones we're working on at that basic end. And then we've got some work. We are looking at management of brome grass. So we'll be having some trials in across South Australia, Victoria, southern New South Wales into Western Australia, looking at how do we better manage brome grass. Now we're starting to get resistance to the Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides in brome. So it encompasses a, a wide range of things and then of course I've I got a role with the South Australian Drought Hub and uh, every so often there's a, a project they ask me to look at. Most of them turn around to be these days to be things about rotations mm. of course because rotations are really important for weed management but they're also important for other reasons and trying to get your rotation right and so having developed a bit of a, a, a skill in thinking about rotations people now go oh Maybe you can help us think about how we might do this with a rotation. Yeah.
0: So, University of Adelaide's the the project lead for the cropping without glyphosate project. Tell us a bit about that particular project and all the activities that are associated with it. What are you doing?
1: Uh, yeah. So the genesis of this work actually came from some work I was doing with my colleagues in the United States, where we're actually asked the question, "Can you make glyphosate work better?" and we did a piece of work where we looked at the Group 14 herbicides mixing the with glufosinate and found that on broadleaf weeds, yes, you really could make the whole thing work really effectively. And then an opportunity came up with the Commonwealth Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries. Had a project which was called an innovation hub and they gave money to the drought hubs for innovation research and the South Australian drought hub came to me and said Chris well one of the things is in, in market access we know that glyphosate a potential issue for market access we'd like you to put your project together for that and I said well I've got this idea uh, that we should try what are the opportunities for doing something different and does it actually work in our environment because that's always the big thing, you know, you, you read research across the world and then you go, well, is this going to work at, you know, at Struan or at, is it going to work at Menapa? How, how do you actually pull that, put it into that environment? So that was where the project came from. It was just over a year's worth of funding, but we've managed to stretch it a little bit. <laughs> and so we've had a series of field trials five different locations where in South Australia where we've been looking at what happens with various mixtures but we've also gone into sort of double knocks in that as well and that strategy and then we've also put together a a podcast well actually it's a video rather than a podcast about how do you get into harvest weed seed control and what are the, the the tips and about doing that and doing it successfully. And part of that was about that that's one of the things that we're going to need if we lose glyphosate because then we'll lose crop topping. So this will be, you know, the thing that we'll have to fall back on. So the, the whole premise of the project is not about we're going to lose glyphosate immediately hmm. because I don't think we are, but we might find that some markets will dictate to us that we can't use it for certain operations so we are you know already seeing that with um with oat and hay for example some buyers don't want gloves out of the top of oat and hay we're seeing it with barley and we might see it with further into our farming system so how can we be proactive that if that does happen we've at least got some solutions we can Mm -hmm. roll out
0: and so that's the main the main reason why there's such a strong research focus on on glyphosate or is there something else happening behind the scenes we're sort of we're concentrating on it because we think potentially our access to it might be reduced
1: Well the other thing that's happening behind the scenes of course is that we're getting a lot more glyphosate resistant weeds in our farming system and for us here in the southeast that's annual ryegrass mm-hmm. is number 1 and our recent surveys down here have suggested that there's actually quite high levels of glyphosate or frequency of glyphosate resistance in in cropping paddocks and uh, about, well, upwards of a quarter of cropping paddocks already have Mm. glyphosate-resistant ryegrass in. And one of the things we've seen with that, mostly farmers tend to manage that okay, except every so often they get tripped up. And that typically happens when we get rain early. So that's the other yeah, you know, that's a kind of sleeper issue as well, that even if they don't take glyphosate off us, we're going to have to manage glyphosate resistance ryegrass into the future.
0: Jace, I think that might have been a bit of a problem this year, was it? I reckon you mentioned <laughs> to me there was a few dirty paddocks <laughs> around.
1: Yeah, completely agree
2: with Chris's comments on the early start and weeds coming and just, yeah, trying to use robust rates or trying to use rates and, yeah, the efficacy and resistance showing up. Mm. Well, unconfirmed, but it's, yeah weed control wasn't as ideal as we'd like
0: Yep So Chris, that kind of leads to the next part which is if we're having reduced efficacy or reduced access to glyphosate, is that going to have a big impact on our, our farming systems and how they change, so in the next 10 years?
1: I think it will, partly because every time we've got into a spot where we've had a really challenge about how do we actually control weeds in our farming systems, we end up changing our farming system. Mm. So, you know, we can go back to the early days of, of resistance and one of the big things that came into South Australia in response to that was hay, as being a, a very effective resistance management strategy. The pre-emergent herbicides that we're currently using and the way we're currently using them has come in as a response to resistance to trifluralin. And then uh, with no-till, we saw changes in the way we managed weeds as well. So every time something happens around weed management, we tend to fiddle around with the farming system, and that might be we change rotations to put crops in where we can get better control and have more of those crops. So the work I did down here a few years ago around ryegrass management, we were looking at things like a double break as being probably the thing that needs to come into a a system down here to really drive those numbers down because one year is not enough Mm. and you know and so I think that if we do lose glyphosate farmers will still farm we'll find a way I mean I'll I'll come up with some things that they can do they're going to be more expensive (laughs) but at least there'll be things they can do (laughs) but I think what we'll find is that farmers will change their farming system so that they've got other opportunities Mm. Um, that are perhaps a little bit more cost-effective, perhaps, than what I come up with.
0: <laughs> They're always inventive, aren't they, Chris?
1: Well, I think they really are, and I've often said to people that, you know, part of my job is actually to test what farmers are talking about yeah. and see if it actually works.
0: Yeah. Why is it important, then, for, for our agricultural industry to invest in research focused on weed management as as a whole
1: industry? Well, I think weed management is one of those... Activities, those underpinning activities that gives you all the benefits of everything else you do. So we know from the work we've done that if we don't control weeds early in the season, we can lose, depending upon where you're farming, anywhere from half a tonne of wheat yield, you know, up to almost two tonnes in the high rainfall zone. And, you know, that's a, a, a lot of money That's that's going from not controlling weeds mm. so if you don't you know if you can't get on top of the weeds then you don't get the benefit out of breeding new breeding approaches you don't get the benefit out of nutrition you don't you don't get the benefit of all the other things you're doing in the system so losing and it's probably true of all the pests but weeds are the number one pest that we've had over recent years so you know we need to manage those so that the whole system can benefit i think that thing about weed management is that when we're looking at ways to manage weeds, we're looking to manage them over a long period of time as opposed to, I've got weeds in my paddock, what do I do now? We don't want to actually get to that situation. We want to be, look, these are the issues I've got that I've got to manage. This is what I'm doing. And that means that you can't just run, you know, one-year white pig trials all the time because you don't learn what you need to do what the benefits of doing different things Mm. in any one year are. And I think that's where the the benefits of some of the long-term trial work that we've done over recent years have been. It's that we've we've seen that doing a different thing in a particular crop actually leads you into a better place in other crops.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the results from the trial that happened down here last year, or is that...? still being
1: analysed? Uh, well, I can tell you a bit about the results, and I think it's fair to say that the original thought that we came in was that, you know, could we do what we've done in North America on border weeds with grasses? Mm. We've actually got some different chemistry now available to what was available when I did that work, and the answer is yes, but it's not as good. Okay. <laughs> um, so we need to we need to do we need to do some more work to find out how we can actually improve that interaction between this bit of chemistry. It's certainly, some work I've been doing where we've been looking at some double knock strategies. We've actually got it to mm-hmm. work, in. so we can do a double knock around this. As a standalone, it's a bit challenging in this this high rainfall environment to to really control those big ryegrass numbers that mm. we we get down here and so yeah there's more work to be done to to find something for you guys
0: yeah good to hear you're on it (laughs) jace have you got some practical tips for us about how farmers can approach glyphosate resistance and weed management
2: yeah definitely i think chris touched on a few of them there but i think resistance testing is probably the first mainstay of trying to develop a program and knowing where you're at knowing what you're resistant to for a reasonable cost for what growers spend on ag chem. It's a vital tool to implement a strategy around and build a three to four-year program around driving those numbers down. And that's probably the second most important thing is getting those numbers down through crop topping and harvest weed seed destruction or capture. Um, all those tools help you manage. The seed bank and growing a profitable crop and crop competition and there's so many factors that you can implement that just need to be utilised across a three or four year program with um, different pre emergence as well and mixtures and that to maintain and what you've got and drive those numbers down to a level that's manageable and then maintain them as well through mm-hmm. rotation of different crop types and different herbicide groups.
0: And how much do you see those management types varying across our region? You're covering a wide area, you maybe see a bit of difference between Mount Burr and Willa
2: There is quite a bit of difference but then Everyone's implementing some of them And that's, I think, in isolation None of those techniques work on their own To drive the numbers down Everyone's using them in different ways To suit their system Yeah, and sometimes seasonal conditions Just don't allow the implementation of them Being in a high rainfall zone Generally growers are conscious That reducing the seed bank Is the way to And harvest time And pre-harvest is the way to um, drive those numbers down significant or reducing seed set or viable
0: seed set you talked a little bit about the harvest weed head capture and Chris you did too before can you tell us a bit about what that might look like on different farms is it always the same is it the same machinery that does it what's the best way to go about it
2: I'm not sure what the best way to go about it like there's different different growers are using that it's actually capturing the seed in the header is probably the most challenging factor in the southeast a lot of seed is dropping before there but again it's not just in isolation I know there's some chaff carts further north being used but that has its challenges too at harvest so yeah again that's part of the solution not the solution.
0: Chris what about your experience with harvest weed seed capture have you got any I don't know gems of wisdom that might be useful for people? I think
1: One of the key things about it is, from a farmer's point of view, is that they're going to have to get into it at some point. At the moment, you know, crystal ball is not showing up a a brand new weed management technique (laughs) that's suddenly going to solve all our problems for us. There is some new, potentially new chemistry coming, uh, but it's maybe eight to ten years away. And so that's the the time frame we've got to work on before we might get something that's going to go, we can do something different now. I think it's more a case of when, not if, around harvest weed seed control. And so my attitude has really been about that is to say, well, you know, really is to, if you're going to get into it, to look at what's going to suit you, what sort of equipment's going to be better for you, do you want to go cheap? And so, when I was working with the the project down in the southeast and in southern uh, Victoria, you know, we talked a farmer into just getting a a shoot. So he was just chaff lining. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loved that. I think he's passed that now. Yeah. Uh, but he said it was three thousand dollars. It was easy to do. And I think that that's the bit, is to try and make it easy rather than try and make it perfect. Mm. And I think this comes to, you know, harvesting as well, because the biggest challenge in in this environment is actually the harvest operation itself. And as Jason said, you know, a lot of that seed's on the ground before you actually harvest. And so I think the attitude is that, well, we're not going to pick up that seed that's on the ground. So let's have a system that works for us in that harvest operation. And that might be the you know i know that um, one of the growers that we worked with in this area had the idea that he just dropped the header when he got to patches of ryegrass and got really low and then after he didn't see any ryegrass in the patch anymore just lifted it up to its normal height again mm-hmm. so he didn't try and cut the whole crop low just the ryegrass patches and I thought that that was actually a really practical approach to trying to deal with that issue mm. so what you're doing is where the ryegrass is low you're getting maybe 30 percent of the ryegrass through the header and keeping the numbers down and where it's high you're getting more so is those sort of ways to make it practical on farm rather than trying to make it perfect yeah and I think that once people get into it and get it working and understand what it's doing for them then they'll want to do a little bit more and they'll they'll get themselves into the space they need to be but it's not the sole thing that they should be doing and I think this is the most important thing that Jason said about this it doesn't necessarily fix your problem for you entirely. It's part of a a package. Mm. So, you know, we always saw this package as being, you know, our good pre-emergent herbicide strategies, you know, making sure we've dealt with the weeds that are there over at at sowing time, good pre-emergent herbicide strategy for that early period, trying to get us as far as possible into the season, crop competition to reduce the amount of seed set. And then, you know, having something at the end of the season that's just going to take the edge off that seed that's going into the seed bank. Mm -hmm. And by being able to do that, you're not even having to do it every year, but being able to do it in enough years, you can keep your numbers low. And if your numbers are low, having resistance is less of an issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it really is integrated pest management in terms of lots of things integrated (laughs) (laughs) to get an outcome. Jace. What are some options that you've seen people pursue if they're wanting to use less glyphosate, and are there alternatives?
2: It's a pretty difficult question. Like as Chris touched on, there's some new stuff that's a fair way away. Paraquat probably at the moment's the only chemical alternative that's viable, and cultivation as well. But there's also already some known paraquat resistance to ryegrass and cultivation also has its various challenges with the stubble from the previous year, erosion and going to dry seasons you're also possibly losing some potential yield. I think there's some other new technology coming through that Mallee they're using a lot of optical sprayers and that for summer weed control, whether that we can utilise different modes of action and higher rates to potentially control those weeds and I think not too far away the green on green chemistry uh, sorry optical sprayers and optical cameras will be available in, to op, use in crop to help control those weeds that may have come through glyphosate or paraquat. Yeah.
0: so yeah AI, helping farming, how is that <laughs> precision, <Ag. laughs> Chris, what's next for the project and for the Weed Science Research Group?
1: This project's wrapping up now. We've learnt some things and that it's it's not going to be easy to replace glyphosate. But I think that that was always, you know, sort of part of what I feared would be an outcome. But one of the other things I really wanted this project to do was not necessarily to create an instant answer, but to get people in the industry thinking about well, maybe this is something we need to address. And that certainly has been successful. I've had uh, a number of the companies talking to me about things that they think they might do. We'll have to wait and see whether any of them turn out to be successful, of course. I think once you get people thinking about it and then, you know, ideas come out that, you know, sort of weren't there before. So that bit, I think, is where we're going. We're going to have to go back have another rethink about, well, what are our other opportunities for doing things? And are there other ways that we can approach the problem of replacing glyphosate with other practices that we mm. can use? As far as the weed science group, people frequently tell me that I'll be never out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the things, one of the great things about working in weeds from a scientist's perspective is that it's a it's a moving Area. Uh, as soon as I think that I've solved one problem, <laughs> another problem rears its head and goes, ah, we've got to deal with this. Things that we're fortunate about are that we've got a lot of activity in the pre emergent herbicide space for ryegrass, and it's actually been really good for our no till farming system because it's been part of what's helped build out better yields. And we've got, so we've got lots of opportunity there. And so that's now from a point where, when I started working on pre-emergent herbicides in 2005, where the cupboard was bare, we now have an abundance of of potential products we can use. We now have to work on some other parts of of the system and try and find some other approaches that we can use. And I think that, you know, at the moment we would say, yeah, look, we're reasonably confident about ryegrass management, we've got the tools glyphosate resistance is going to upend that a bit though Mm. and that's going to make it a whole lot harder because that front end piece is not going to be as good if we get that fixed then something else will change we're already getting ryegrass that's germinating later and that's really challenging us because our pre-emergent herbicides have run out before the glyphosate before the ryegrass comes up Mm. we're always chasing solutions for uh, for weed problems so i think that you know I'll be continuing to look at what the issues are uh, one of the reasons I you know I love coming out and talking to farmers because they're the they're the ones who are telling me right at the beginning when these issues start to arise that there's an issue yeah because they're seeing it on farm and uh, gives me time to think about it before lots of farmers have it as a problem
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jace Chris has sort of told us what he's up to next tell us about What's next for you? What's what's the next biggest thing coming up in your agronomy life?
2: Put me on the spot there, <laughs> Meg. No, I enjoy what I'm doing and um, working with the Elders Network and working with MacKillop. And in that, you, you have a great network across not only the southeast, but across most of Australia. And... Yeah you do, you get to work with Researchers and um, and Even just working with MacKillop Other agronomists in the southeast. We've all got Similar issues on the Similar farms and similar farming Practices And having that network To bounce a few ideas around And hopefully with MacKillop You can And other industry bodies, GRDC And the likes And Adelaide Uni we can Keep delivering solutions and As Chris said There's probably going to be continual Problems Mm -hmm. and issues that keep rising As we provide a solution But that's what makes the What you do exciting and um, Challenging At times (laughs) and farmers Are always wondering what the next answer Is but yeah it's I enjoy it so it's good fun
0: Good Chris or Jason have you got any final words On weed management any any hot tips you need to tell our listeners anything they really have to know
1: look i think yeah you know, in terms of you know weed management is is knowing where you are is really i mean jason mentioned this about about herbicide resistance testing is the case of knowing where you are and what you might still have available in the chemistry space but i think that's true of other weeds as well you know and if you do suddenly have a you know a weed that was not terribly prominent before and it's starting to rise in prominence well that's actually a direct reflection of what farming system you have and so then you need to go oh well that's going to continue to happen as soon as I as long as I continue to have my current management what I need might need to change to actually deal with that problem and try and do that before it kind of gets out of control because i'm sure this is True, Jason, you know, the, the easiest paddocks to work on, the ones that only have a small weed problem, the ones where it's, you know, <laughs> right across the paddock are going to be much harder for you to work on. And it's a and across the board, like, when you've
2: got one or two areas in the or a paddock, then you're spending a lot more time and effort and financially, too, managing those weeds, whereas when you're a bigger system, and that all takes time and... and growers want it to be as simple as possible but those these challenges just provide make it more difficult and you have to look at alternative ways to manage them and and it all takes time and yeah to implement it
0: well chris and jason thank you so much for being here and for sharing your insights on wage management it's been a pleasure to have you both
1: Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks, Meg.
0: Today's episode is part of the South Australian Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub project, Cropping Without Glyphosate, which received funding from the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund. The SA Drought Hub is one of the eight hubs established across Australia through the Future Drought Fund. The Hub brings together a dynamic network of primary producers, industry groups, researchers, government agencies, universities, agribusinesses, traditional owners and others to work towards a common vision to strengthen the drought resilience and preparedness of farms and regional communities in South Australia. Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a MacKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube at MacKillop Group or check out our website at www.mackillopgroup.com.au. Thanks for listening and see you next time.